0: Amen. Thank you, Anthony. Well, it's it's so good to be with you all this morning. Thank you to uh, Pastor Nick and the session here at Evergreen Community Church for extending this gracious invitation for me to to proclaim God's word from your pulpit. So I appreciate it, and and uh, and and glad to be here. My family and I are are very glad to be here with you, and we're very excited to eat some good food later. Again. So, well, if you do have your copy of God's word, please turn with me to Psalm 115. This morning, we will explore uh, this psalm of praise to our great God. And by God's grace, we'll learn more about what it means to give glory to God, to worship God alone. I'm going to read uh, God's holy word from Psalm 115. Hear now the word of the Lord. Not to us, O Lord, not to us. But to your name, give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. To the the, the dead, do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, you and I and all human beings are made to worship. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that all people's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But as we know, sin distorts and and ruins everything. So that worship impulse that has been hardwired into our DNA is distorted and ruined and instead of seeking to glorify God you and I and all people often end up worshiping anything and everything but God It's interesting that you don't have to be a profession a professing Christian to understand this basic human impulse right it was Bob Dylan who sang you got to serve somebody and the non-Christian author David Foster Wallace gets at this same truth in a commencement speech that he delivered in 2005. Wallace said this in this speech. He said, here's something that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive, Wallace says. He says, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, he says, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, bromides, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Everybody worships, Wallace says. He intuitively knows that worshiping the wrong things will, will cause you to, quote, die a million deaths. These words, even though Wallace very likely didn't know it, get at a truth that's expounded upon in a few places throughout Scripture, but it's one that we see highlighted here in Psalm 115. In our internet age, the age of of immediate access to people from all over the world through social media, anyone with a cell phone camera and an internet connection can become a viral sensation. This immediate access to all people at all times has led many to seek fame and glory for themselves, to draw attention to themselves by any means possible so that everyone might know who they are, and how special they are, They might be impressed by them. These idols of worldly fame and success, though, are fleeting, aren't they? How many times have we forgotten all about Yesterday's viral sensation because today we see some other new funny or interesting video. Our society's obsession with the newest and the latest, with the next big thing, shows that sinful humans seek glory for themselves or seek to give glory to created things. And thereby, we all rob God of what is rightfully His alone. Psalm 115 here this morning, proclaims the exact opposite. Not to us, the psalmist begins. Glory and majesty and dominion and authority belong not to mankind, not to any created thing, but to God alone. Here the psalmist presents us with a dilemma. This psalm is calling you and me, every single person, to reflect upon our own hearts and to ask ourselves, who will I worship? What will I worship? Who will I serve? To whom will I give glory? The answer, of course, must be God alone. Seeking glory for yourself, worshiping or giving glory to false gods only brings judgment and condemnation, eternal death. And so in Psalm 115, you and I this morning will see that First, God's glory must not be given to men. Second, we'll see that God's glory must not be given to idols. And third, we will see this psalm tells us that God's glory properly given to God alone brings bountiful blessing. First, we see in this psalm that God's glory must not be given to men. Psalm 115 begins with a rally cry. Not to us, not to us, but to your name give glory. Proper worship must not, and indeed it cannot, be given to anyone other than the Lord God who made heaven and earth. Our praise, our glory, our adoration must be given to him alone, verse 1 says, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. When the British Parliament passed the bill to abolish the slave trade, William Wilberforce returned to his home to meditate upon Scripture. Some of you may know that name. Wilberforce was a Christian politician who worked tirelessly for years, decades even, to convince the men in Parliament to end slavery in England and its colonies once and for all. Wilberforce, more than any other single person in the British Empire, was responsible for raising awareness of the heinous nature of slavery and sought to eradicate it in all of England's territories. After the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833 passed through Parliament, Wilberforce, who by that time was retired and infirm and near the end of his life, returned to his home after getting this news and meditated on Psalm 115 and verse 1. Wilberforce knew that although he fought harder than any human person in England to end slavery, the glory of that act was not his to enjoy the glory received for this accomplishment was to be given to God alone it can become so easy for us to forget the promises of God can't it to carry on in our lives without giving regard to the Lord of the universe too often you and I can't see further than the reach of our own arms And yet we can fall into the trap of thinking that glory belongs to us. That we are something to be worshipped and praised. That God's job is to give us all that we need to provide for us and to protect us. But Psalm 115 breaks us out of our delusions of self-importance and reorients our hearts and our minds. The whole world is screaming, look at me. It's saying, to us, to us belongs all the glory. But no, may it never be. God alone is worthy of your glory, and you and I must seek to glorify him in all things. As we are shown here in this beautiful song, this beautiful prayer from one of God's own children. Scholars don't precisely know the situation out of which this psalmist wrote the prayer. We don't even know for certain who wrote it. But verse 2 gives some clues about what may be in the background of it. They say, why should the nation say, where is their God? Enemies of God's people have mockingly abused them. And yet, God's people don't despair. Verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all he pleases. Notice the psalmist doesn't here ask for personal help for deliverance from his enemies. The nations are mocking the people of God. They're mocking the Lord, saying, where is their God? If if their God was so great, why wouldn't he come down and help them? The psalmist doesn't selfishly seek renown for himself. He doesn't even ask the Lord for victory over his enemies. Instead, he boldly proclaims the glory of God asking for God to make his glory shine upon the earth and for the Lord to allow his name alone to be praised by all creatures. For the psalmist, it doesn't matter what the nations say. Our God is in the heavens. Unlike your false gods, our God can do all he pleases That's one reason why God is preeminently worthy of all of our praise and glory and adoration. Our great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is all-powerful. While men and all mere creatures are limited in so many different ways. To give glory to that which is finite, to that which has a beginning and an end, is to give glory to something that doesn't deserve it. God will be glorified. His people will be vindicated, but not because of anything inherently good or worthy in us, the people of God. No, God will bless his people, again in verse 1, for the sake of his own steadfast love and faithfulness. Giving men glory steals it from God. But God is also cheated of glory when it's given to other creatures, as we see in the psalmist's condemnation of the idolater, starting in verse 4. And that's where we come to our second point, that God's glory must not be given to idols. Not only are we commanded here not to take glory for ourselves, we also can't give it to false gods. The nations who mock God's people are in turn mocked, in verses 4 through 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, and the list goes on. These idols are are mocked, and the people who worship them are mocked because unlike the God that we serve, their idols are lifeless, soulless, and useless things. This mocking and condemnatory tone toward idols and toward idol worship is not unique to this psalm. It's, It's in fact a common theme throughout the Old Testament, especially in the prophets. If we look to the book of Isaiah, we see Isaiah as well, mocking the idolater. In Isaiah chapter 44, verses 13 through 20, we read these words. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into a figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak, and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the other, over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm." I have seen the fire. The rest of it he makes into a God, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know, nor do they discern, says Isaiah. For he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Isaiah is showing that the this, this man who takes a tree and takes this, this one piece of wood and makes an idol out of it, out of half of it, and and the other half of it he burns to bake bread in his meal. And then he goes on to say that this man doesn't even think about what he's doing. He bows down before this carved idol, not even realizing that it's the work of his own hand. What could this idol possibly do for the man? The man crafted it from his own imagination. It's utterly dependent upon that man for its entire existence. And yet the man thinks that praying to it will do something for him? That, that praying to this created thing will help him in some way? No, Isaiah says, and, and the psalmist here says, the only thing that will happen is that this man will take on the attributes and the characteristics of that idol. The man will become blind and deaf and mute, just like that block of wood. The man will become senseless and sedentary and stagnant, just like the idol. And in time, the idolater will be just as dead and lifeless as the object of his worship. That's what the psalmist says here in Psalm 115 and verse 8. Look there with me. It says, Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Idolaters... Isaiah and this psalmist say, become like the idols they worship. These idols are dead. And should the idolaters continue in their false worship, they will end up just as dead as the idols they serve. There's a great irony in the psalmist's words here. These idols cannot do anything. They give nothing to the people who created them, and yet they are worshiped. It's so easy for us to look at these depictions of idolaters and chuckle a little. Who would be so foolish to do such a thing? You and I need to understand that we create idols of our own all the time. John Calvin, the magisterial reformer from Geneva, Switzerland, Switzerland, said that our hearts are idol factories. We are constantly churning out new things to worship. When one of them fails us or when our preferences change, we simply remove that old idol and put something else in its place, like we're changing dead batteries in a flashlight. But God's people must not and cannot worship dead idols. We serve the one true and living God. There is no other God. You and I must be the opposite of these idols. Idols are blind and deaf, mute and unfeeling. But God's people are called to see, to see Christ by faith, to hear his word, to shout aloud his praises, to love God and neighbor with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to use our hands and feet in service to our great Savior. You and I are commanded to taste and see that the Lord is good. And in doing so, we will give glory to God, and he promises, in turn, to bless us. That's what we see in the final part of this psalm, that God's glory, properly given, brings bountiful blessing to his people. Though God's people were in some sort of trouble, as we see in verse 2, the psalmist doesn't despair. No, instead, he assures himself, and you and me, and me, in verse 12, that the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. Dear one, do not lose heart. The Lord remembers you. Even when your enemies surround you, even when wicked people mock you and heap scorn upon you, our great God remembers you. And he promises to bless you. Even in the midst of hardship, in trials of this life. Take heart to know that God has not abandoned you, that God will not forsake you, that he remembers you and that he promises to bless you. This is one of the many reasons that God alone deserves our praise and our worship, our glory and our adoration. It's because God alone is worthy of our worship. It's because God alone is the sovereign Lord over all the earth. Because God made us and we are his. He made all things and all things are under God's loving watch care and his providential hand. The Lord, we see in this psalm, is our help and our shield. All the house of Israel, all the house of Aaron, all those who fear the Lord, all God's people, past, present, and future must trust in the Lord, and God promises to bless them. And the blessing that God's people will receive is a specific one. In verse 14, the psalmist repeats back to God the promises that he made to his covenant people all throughout Scripture, beginning in the garden and then extended through people like Noah and Abraham. God promises for increase, promises to give to his people increase and children he's saying that generational blessing will come upon all those who have a proper view of worship who seek to give glory to god instead of stealing it from him by giving it to themselves or to another person or to the vain idols that they've made in their own image We will glorify and bless god and he will bless his people and yet Even when blessed by God, we don't stop giving God glory and praising Him. That's why Psalm 115 ends where it begins, in praise to God. Verse 18, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Glory and praise belong to God alone. And you and I cannot give it to anyone else. Friends, the principle is clear all throughout Scripture. Humans are made for worship, and we all worship something. You've got to serve somebody. Not only that, but humans become like what they worship. It's clear from Psalm 115 and many other places, including Isaiah 44, that worshipers become like whatever they give glory to. The idolaters against whom the psalmist speaks here will become like those false gods. Those idols, as we've seen, do nothing and emphatically are nothing. They're not real. They don't exist. They will not help anyone. Therefore, those who worship them will become nothing. They will be physically and spiritually dead like the idols they serve. Since since that principle that idol worshipers become like that which they worship still stands, you and I have to work hard every day, to diligently and ruthlessly kill our idols, to mortify our sin, in the words of the Puritans. You and I must put to death anything and everything that we would worship in place of our great triune God. Dear ones, you become like what you worship. Therefore, worship Christ. Become like Christ. Theologians have said that, Protology informs eschatology. That is, first things help us to better understand last things. So we should ask ourselves, where did the world and all that is within it come from? How did mankind begin? Well, the answer is clear. In Genesis 1 and 2, God made Adam and Eve in the image and likeness of God. They were perfect and without sin. All people who have come after them likewise bear that same image of God. Though Adam and Eve failed to keep the law of God, sin has not erased the image of God, but it has defaced it. So that you and I need to be remade. We need to become new creations. You and I need to be transformed by God the Spirit into the image of God the Son, to the glory of God the Father. This is the great goal of the Christian life. And it's one that won't be complete until we are glorified, until that great day when we see our Savior face to face and he returns to make all things new. And this is the high calling to which all of God's people have been called. It's the calling that Psalm 115 is, is, is pressing upon us even now Christ likeness is the great aim of the Christian life. Even the name Christian shows us this. We are all to be little Christs, following after our elder brother, walking in the path that Christ has set for us, listening to Christ alone, worshiping God alone through Christ alone, becoming more and more like our precious Savior by God's grace every day. Dear ones, our heavenly father did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us and for our salvation. In Christ, all the wondrous and untold blessings of God, those blessings that are promised here in Psalm 115, in Christ, they are yours. In Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. For Christ shed his blood and died for ungodly, wretched sinners like you and like me. And he did that so that all who believe in him by grace through faith will receive immeasurable blessings from God. Chief among those blessings is Christ our Lord himself. Christ has given himself for you. It's only right, therefore, that you give everything for him. Who will you worship? Psalm 115 is asking us that question This morning, who will you worship? Worship God alone in and through Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't seek glory for yourself. Don't give glory to your fellow man or to lifeless idols. Instead, give glory to the living God alone. As we read in Revelation chapter 5, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word in Psalm 115. We thank you for these precious few moments we've been able to spend exploring the depths of this wonderful psalm of praise. We pray, O God, that you would give us hearts that seek to worship you alone, to give glory to you alone, for you alone are worthy to receive glory and praise and worship. We pray, O God, that you would show us Christ our Savior, that even as we partake of the body and blood of Christ very soon, that you would fill us with your Spirit. Give us the grace of God, that we so desperately need, which you have promised to give us through your means of grace. We thank you, O God, for your word, for the sacraments, for prayer. Thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ, our Savior. We pray that you would give us hearts that seek to worship you, to follow after Christ all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.